0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email andrew at info at focuscompounding.com. Or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast.
1: All righty, we are back. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast. Jeffrey Gannon, focused. Compounding podcast, Jeffrey Harvey Gannon, mm-hmm. Andrew Mitchell-Kuhn. Um, if you guys see in this background a bunch of lightning going on, um, we upped our game a little bit so we have some special effects going yeah. on. This is a green screen. No, I'm just kidding. We're actually right in the middle of a tornado, but we care so much about Focus Compounding that we're just going to we're just gonna fight through it, right? Yeah,
0: we'll just film our death on here.
1: That's right. So, if you're not following me on Twitter, come on. I'm I'm, I'm trying to get through a tornado for you. And if you want to get access to Jeff's weekly write-up, go to FocusCompoundingGazette.com dot com and be sure to sign up for that. So today we're gonna to be going over questions mm-hmm. all investing related. Okay. Are they ever not investing related? Uh, yes. We, we, don't we don't get too many personal. We don't get too many personal ones. We did
0: two episodes and. In- a year ago. Yeah, yeah. We did one right. about the podcast and want about it. No us. one
1: cares about you <laughs> and me as a person. Just just investing. Um, so we're going to be going over it. And if you want to ask future questions, feel free to reach out on Twitter or email info at focuscompound.com. We will um, queue them together and then pull them for the show. And we'll jump right into it. Uh, first question. I thought this was a good one. says, have you ever bought a company where the numbers told you not to?
0: Um... No, I don't think so. Never. You, uh, I, I, no, I'm pretty sure no. It now, depends on
1: what you mean. Okay, so, I mean, I mean, you could say that for NACO, for example, the current accounting, when you first looked at it, probably made you, um, if you didn't think about what the company would look like um, in a couple of years or whatever, right? Don't you think that could have made a difference?
0: Oh, maybe. I mean, BWX Technologies, it had losses and some things that was going to spin off and stuff like that. So, yeah, that might be possible. NACO, I mean its revenue and stuff looked different but you knew it was going to spin off at like a or you thought it was going to spin off at like a single digit P Um, uh, we bought something that was like 20 times earnings but then after we knew there was a tax cut so it would drop to a lot lower yeah Um, no I, I don't Think so generally. Um, well, you know, we bought Maui Land and Pineapple at one time. Yeah. So I guess if you're saying the numbers, meaning like book the value and stuff like that. Sure. Then, yeah. But if you mean the likely appraisal value of the land, then no. No. Um, and that would be the same for, uh, we bought a timber company. Mm -hmm. So if you mean like just PE and price to book, no, I think Maryland and pineapple price to book could have been seven times book or five
1: times book, or I I forget what it was. I think the land was probably worth seven times book. Yeah. I think this question is modeled after, um, when Buffett was asked or Buffett said Mm -hmm. that sometimes the best companies are the ones where the numbers tell you not to invest because you love the business so much.
0: I think sometimes when we paid a high price for something that's worked out well, but a high price for us is, um... Still pretty low. And yeah. I would say a high price for Buffett is very low. People mm-hmm. always quote about how he says, you know, you have to pay a fair price for a stock and stuff. But his idea of a fair price is like, you know, like he thinks really paying out for a stock is paying in the teens P.E. or something. Yeah, you know, He talked yeah. about See's Candy. Have you read about that um, history and the snowball and stuff? Um, now, it was a different time, so stock prices were um, – business prices were a lot lower. Yeah. But – um yeah, he talks about how they really paid out for C's. Well, they got a very low price for C's compared yeah. to what people
1: pay for stocks today. So yeah, yeah, totally cool. Um, let's see. It says, "What is it that really piques your interest in a stock? What tells you that it could be interesting?"
0: Uh, it's easy to understand, and it has some sort of moat, okay. um, probably. So uh, when I read about a company, and immediately something jumps out at me that way. I mean, I on the Focus Compounding Gazette, which you can sign up for for. Um, to get each week by email, nice it starts, yeah, it starts <laughs> with uh, 10 overlooked stocks, right? yeah uh-huh. So you can see that I picked those 10 overlooked stocks. So they're overlooked statistically, so that's why they're on the list. But why did I pick those 10? Um, if you go down the list, it's usually that. They're fairly easy to understand, and they have some sort of um, moat, mm-hmm. uh, likely, or the possibility that there is a moat. We don't know unless you dig a little deeper. But so, like some people were surprised there was a cement company on there. Actually, cement companies tend to have um, moats because you, it's a low-value weight product, so you can't ship it that far. And especially, um, you mean you can ship things by rail or by barge, but shipping things by truck is a really short distance that you could ship it. Um, I wrote up a lime company, same sort of thing. I invested in an uh, aggregates company a long time ago. Um, so... All those sorts of things. So, yeah, th- that might be really boring to people to yeah. read about a company that owns a gravel pit or makes uh, cement or whatever. But um, that that interests me right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two different theme park companies on that list. Um, so, obviously, I think theme parks tend to have some sort of moat around them sometimes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so...
1: The, 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 now, when you say simple, was. could you please, um, obviously, I know what you mean by that, or easy to understand. But, I mean, for example, some people, when we've right. talked about BWX technologies, right. right, they make nuclear reactors. That yes. kind of is probably sounds difficult pretty complicated for a lot yeah. of people to understand. But it's not like you know like the exact chemistry that goes behind it. Right. right?
0: So, like, in the 10 Overlook Stocks to Watch, there's a stock on there near the bottom. And one reason why it's near the bottom, it hasn't appeared previously, is it's an insurer. I don't have a problem with insurers being difficult to understand. This company has written different kinds of business Uh, in different years, pretty quickly. So it's like short tail type insurance, but it's switched what it's done. So um, that's difficult for me. Whereas like uh, Progressive, uh, has really done um overwhelmingly just auto insurance and has a very long history of writing it. So it it depends. Like um, a a bank that's making new kinds of loans and insurer that's doing different kinds of insurance insurance I'm not that familiar with that would be difficult. Um, to understand but like an auto insurer would be simple to understand Um, so yeah I mean it's it's the economics of it that matter so okay go ahead yeah so like you said BWX technologies um, the economics are pretty simple there they've made all the nuclear reactors for the US Navy since the Navy's used nuclear reactors I said before like if I was looking at that stock in the uh, 50s or something I wouldn't be able to judge it because there were competing models and um, there were uh, companies that were building different kinds of reactors. Uh, In fact, originally there were companies that thought that um, it there wouldn't be enough uranium in the world to run ships on um, that you, that you would need um, plutonium and that um, you would not want to use water. Uh, And in fact, those are the two things that uh, became important aspects of, of what, Actually, is how they um, fuel nuclear reactors. So, um, you know, I don't understand the answer to engineering questions. All the engineers, yeah. uh, if you read books from back then and stuff, suggested that um, the superior model is the one that didn't end up being the one that the Navy based things on. Mm-hmm. And they were wrong about a lot of things. Like, they thought there was going to be a uranium shortage and that the world would never have enough uranium to fuel all these things. And there was plenty of uranium. Um, but. They didn't know that at the time. If you read things from the 90s or whatever, I'm sure you'd think that there was going to be no oil in the United States and those sorts of things. And sure. there will be a big net importer and now it's going to be a net exporter. So those sorts of things are difficult to understand. But once you see them happen, uh, it's easier. So, yeah. So, like, take NACA. If they're taking oil out of the ground and getting royalties on it, uh, natural gas out of the ground in Utica Shale, um, then I can evaluate and stuff once it's happening and, and sort of have an idea about it. Uh, I have no idea when they're talking about uh, what it might be happening in the future, but there isn't the infrastructure to take it out of the state yet and things like that. you know.
1: So what would you do for everyone listening that is new, for example? And maybe mm-hmm. they don't know a bunch like what's easy for you to understand because you've read a bunch of about a bunch of different companies and you've read a ton of 10 ks to somebody else could be completely different right so if somebody said okay i want to go deep and try to understand this industry this business what advice would you give to do that uh read about the company and read about its
0: competitors and then you just write down questions about what you don't understand and you need to figure out yeah
1: um and you can learn a lot about an industry and we've talked about this a lot um You know, so let's say you're interested in a company and then they list their competitors. Go Mm -hmm. read every single one of their competitors' annual reports. And you could literally, from doing that, A, you'll know which company is better and the best Mm -hmm. in the industry. You could just tell which ones could be the, you know, the riskiest. And you'll just learn a ton about the industry, you know. And then to your point, writing down um, a bunch of questions that you have and then really going on Google. And you could do some scuttlebutt and really try to go see it in person or, Mm -hmm. or um you know, for example, we we've done some research on a company which I won't say, and I could picture it in my mind. But mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I kind of want to learn a little bit more. And I went to YouTube and I saw a tour of it yeah. or whatever. You know, so right. for me, it's like actually putting it the um, the annual report in like in into real life, if yeah. you will, you know, so that helps and you kind of learn about it that way. Yeah. Know? So,
0: it, I mean, it depends on,
1: it's kind of like when you talk about thinking like a journalist, right? What, yeah, would they, exactly. what would a journalist do? Yeah. They would go and talk to uh, people that are close to the situation or who yeah. knew about it or who knew the person and mm-hmm. really just kind of going from a bunch of different angles with it. Yeah.
0: And the thing is, it's to get you comfortable with the stock. Um, is what matters. It's just all the stuff that would affect your decision whether you buy it or not. So I think sometimes people gather a lot of data and stuff. Um, like financials? Yeah. Yeah. And thinking that that's what's the most important thing. Like, for instance, with the um, BWX technologies, you know, I mentioned that I read a book that was about all the. Uh, Uh, nuclear disasters in history that had happened so it was a narrative description of each of them Um, and now it's useful in understanding sorts of things about what companies and what countries and things had used nuclear reactors and why and including things about navies because uh, there's another nuclear powered navy in the world that's had a lot of accidents and the US Navy hasn't Um, and, and things like that so uh, there's no rule that says you can't go out and buy a book that's on that sort of topic. I mean, I read a book, uh, I actually read a couple books on the cruise industry when I was learning about Carnival and yeah. things like that and that's helpful but it's also useful to, I mean, it. a lot of times I talk to people and I'm like, so why don't you go t- see one of the sites? Yeah. Like, you know, you could. For me that helps. Yeah. Yeah. And now with the internet stuff, you can go on TripAdvisor for things. You can go on YouTube. You can read reviews. Google Maps. Exactly. You can Google, exactly, yeah. you get sight a lot of photos of things. But you can also just go to one of those places, especially when they're talking about retail and restaurants and things. I'm amazed when people talk about investing in some company and they've never yeah. been. Yeah. I mean, if like retail restaurants, but they there's no reason I, why you haven't been there. If it, you're going to invest in a movie theater. I was going to say – There usually there's some chains where you, depending on where you are in the country and where they are, you couldn't go to. But in general, you can go there and you can go to competitors and you can
1: get an idea. Um, They're not thinking like investors, right? In most situations, I don't know why
0: that happens because it's a little surprising. It's like, but if
1: you were to invest in a private business, you'd probably want to see the product yourself. You know, Yeah. yeah,
0: and it can be helpful yourself. Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily that good. In terms of uh, that you need to do that because, it, you know, a lot of it's anecdotal and it's not necessarily going to be as helpful as more scientific sorts of things. You know, if you go online and you find employee reviews and there are two employee reviews, it's not a very big sample that you're going to be able to work with. But it's going to stick in your mind in a big way probably if they're really negative or sure. something like that. Um, but you know, if you're researching Cheesecake Factory and you've never been to a Cheesecake Factory, that seems strange to me. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you just go? Sure, yeah. You know, and why wouldn't – and then having gone, go why eat that wouldn't bread. you talk to people who – if you don't like it and stuff, why don't you talk to people who do? Yeah. That's always one of the things that I'm surprised by. There's so many things where I've talked to someone or something and they talk about how they don't like – so say they don't like Starbucks or something. Okay. That's not relevant to the – the um, masses. The, the conversation. Yeah. What you need to figure out is why the people who do like it like it. Yeah. What well, keeps bringing them back. Sure. It, you know, it's like it doesn't matter if it's made for you or not. Um, I'm sure that, like I talked about DreamWorks Animation or something. Well, if I don't like animated movies or whatever, that doesn't matter. There's yeah. an audience that does like it. I sure. need to figure out why they like it. And, you know, whether the company can produce that. And that's the same thing for, you know, any of those things. You could be someone who's counting calories. You're not gonna think of the Cheesecake Factory as the place to go. But they there's do, got, an audience a, they for do it. got a lighter menu though. They have a, a <laughs> skinny delicious <laughs> menu. Yeah, so
1: I I get the bread and then uh, I eat off the skinny delicious menu. Okay. <laughs> so it kinda of justifies it, but I'm probably eating like two two thousand calories in bread. Mm-hmm. That's funny. No, but I I, I would agree with you. Um, what advice would you give to new investors? Uh so What advice would you give to yourself when you started out at 14, 15 years old?
0: Oh, to read less investing theory books and stuff and to ignore that stuff and just use common
1: sense more. So, like, think about it. I got too
0: interested in, you know, value investing type books and things. Yeah. And that was a waste. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you think it's like a hobby, I mean, if you want to read just to read. just but,
0: read, No, reading 10Ks and stuff. No, but I think it distracted me away from that to focusing on things like whether it was low price to book or, yeah. or things like that. that Instead of matter. actually learning
1: about the businesses and yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't important. I don't think that I, I think there's a period where I wasn't a better investor than I had been as a teenager. I've said that before. I think as a teenager, I was a better investor than I was in my uh, early 20s or something. Why do you think that? Because uh, I hadn't read all these investing books. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's a lot of statistical stuff about what they think works in general or whatever, and what you're dealing with these specific cases. Yeah. You just have
1: to figure out a few specific cases that you know the answer to. It kind of reminds me of not. I'm not throwing flack. I I, okay. really, I do I like the guy when he, uh, Whitney Tilson was talking about okay. sort of what happened with his fund. Right. He said that in his earlier day, like he thinks he he I think just like got too smart or just too experienced. I think is what yeah. he said something along those lines. Don't quote me. But he was saying when he first started off, it was much more focused on like the actual businesses, yes. and then as time went on, he was you know probably not in your case about value investing books but he said he was making more macro decisions and yeah that went to his investing process yes, instead of just problem. thinking about like being a business analyst absolutely yeah Yeah.
0: that's the biggest problem and you only need to know about a very small number of businesses and have an opinion on those um i mean the, the big thing that i would so like in terms of just in general advice to people i would say spend as much time as you can studying specific businesses reading 10ks and stuff all year long uh for an individual investor who isn't, you know, a professional or whatever, I would say buy uh, one stock a year. And I would say, how uh, many would you hold? Well, three, four. I know they can hold ten if they want to never sell. I don't have a, you know, mm-hmm. I don't. It's, the issue is really the. I, I don't think it's good for someone. I think most investors are considering way too many options at the same time they're not focusing enough and saying, okay, what's the best of these? They're looking and they're saying, oh, I'll buy a little of this, a little of that, a sure. little of this. And then they're very quick to sell out of those things and stuff. If you're just saying, I mean, you don't, you can buy way more than one stock a year if you're doing this full time. Sure, yeah. Right? The, the the thing is the ratio between how much time you're thinking about what stock to buy and how much action you're taking. Most people are way too much action and not enough thinking. Sure. You want to do a lot more thinking and less action um and then the other thing i would say really big is uh it just has to be something that the case for the investment is something that you can just hold in your head that is not uh you don't need a calculator to do it you don't need to write it down on paper or anything like that it just just makes sense
1: it makes sense you can do the math in your head literally well like you kind of referenced uh, earlier using common sense yeah yeah
0: no that's one of the biggest ones i mean if they're saying the case for it is here in this excel sheet i'm attaching uh, then that's, don't buy that. Do, you,
1: do people ever send you like a bunch of, uh, like tabs on like a huge Excel sheet? The most common thing I get are Excel sheets. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I mean,
0: that's fine. I, I create Excel sheets. Yeah, to, I do too. to look yeah. at certain historical things to test certain things yeah. if if it's true. Like if I I mean, we talked once about a company where I said, I don't know that they're just looking at them. I'm not sure that they're growing their real sales. Yeah. But I had to create an Excel sheet to see if that's true, adjusting for inflation over twenty some years if
1: they had. Yeah.
0: I can't do that in my head. Yeah. But um and they hadn't really. And so
1: that was an important but you've never made a decision right? based upon, like, a variable in, in like, a, an Excel sheet is what I'm saying. Or, like, a DCF or something like that.
0: No. No.
1: It's a lot easier I mean, it's to
0: test something that you think – because the, the size of what you're um, – uh, the, the importance of something. And more than that, it, if you're doing something in an Excel sheet, the, there's just not a margin of safety, you know. Mm-hmm. If, if you're doing a DCF and it, it matters what, you know, sorts of rates you're using or something, then that's not – something that you would want to buy it, it might make a difference between whether you're right or wrong whether uh you would generally recommend this stock or not yeah you know so if you had to put a yes or no on all 500 stocks in the P 500 you might need to use excel sheets but if you just have to pick five out of 500
1: that you like best you don't need an excel sheet for mm-hmm. that yeah no and i'm not hitting on excel obviously i use excel yeah i love it um okay next question what's your opinion of cigar butts versus quality businesses uh both work yep
0: um, the importance in both of them, it, well, the importance in both of them is different. Time is different in them, but the two things that matter a lot are one, the um, uh, the magnitude of it. So when people talk about a cigar butt or something, if you're talking about a ninety cent dollar, um, no, but if you're talking about a ten cent dollar, you know, if you're talking about something that you're buying for ten cents on the dollar, um. Then, yeah, I mean, we talked about uh like the racetrack type analogy uh, of Charlie Munger had, and that's true for handicapping stocks, yeah, um when they're very deep discounts, uh cigar butts are will outperform most other stocks, so when they're really deep that way um so if you're seeing something that's trading at um you know something's trading at uh twenty percent of book value and it's clearly should be worth more than book value someday, then yeah. Then a cigar butt works. Um, As I said in that podcast, um, it does matter if it's growing and things like that and if it's getting some return because that helps you in terms of time. The big difference is time. So you do better in better businesses uh, being able to hold them longer. So uh, we invest almost exclusively in better businesses. Yeah. I mean, in terms of managed accounts, they're all in better businesses. Generally, our three rules are... um, we uh, the stock has to be overlooked then it has to be a good business. Yep. It's not what people would call compounders, sort of the way that I hear them talk about a lot. It big growth companies and mm-hmm. things. We're not really in growth companies, I would say. So they grow, some of them grow a bit faster than the economy, some of them probably not as much. Although they often grow earnings faster than other companies sure, know, like free cash flow or something. Yeah. Uh they tend to have higher cash returns on on their invested capital than most businesses. Um and then uh and then price and it's an acceptable price so i'd rather uh, yeah generally if i can find a business at a good price i would rather a good business always than a cigar butt Mm -hmm. um but you can't i would probably rather buy a cigar butt than clearly overpay for a good business sure because that ruins the investment result you get how do you think benjamin graham would invest in today's environment cigar butts you think so there's enough of them out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're different than what he was looking at with net nets and things. I think he'd be completely in other countries, not in the U.S. at all.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Where do you think he would be? Japan?
0: Japan, for yeah. one of them. But uh, there are other countries out there like that, yeah. But definitely Japan. There's plenty to find in Japan and other
1: places. Mm-hmm. Um, you think if Warren was running, and I guess this is true because we have talked about it, if he mm-hmm. was running $10 million, he would be probably investing, obviously, a lot different. You think he would focus yes. in the $100 in and under space? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've read the snowball. So,
0: yeah, people – he would definitely – he would focus a lot and he would buy very small businesses. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you can buy good businesses at low prices. But buying things at incredibly low prices is a really good deal. Mm -hmm. I mean we were talking about something on the – right over here where I said, you know, well, depending on what happens and whatever, there's spinoffs and things. But you could be buying something that um, is a single – low single-digit P.E., right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you get a business that's the same size or growing over time and is a low single-digit P.E., that's better probably than all the wide moat sort of businesses that people are talking about that they're excited about, you know, the big growth stocks and things. You know, just from a stock going from a PE of, you know, 3 to 5 to, you know, 15 to 25 or something. Yeah. uh is a huge return over time and it's likely to happen eventually. I mean, eventually uh, stocks that are decent will trade at like 15 times earnings or something. So if you can get them at really low PE, um, we Right now, we own some stocks that are, uh, have a P.E. a little over 20 and a little below 10, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, even though I might sometimes like the business with the P.E. over 20 a little bit better, uh, it's very hard to see how it outperforms the business with the P.E. below 10. It's just such a huge advantage to buy something at two-thirds or less of what the market P.E. is. You know? mm-hmm. Sure.
1: No, I think that's great, and I think that's a great place to stop. I want to thank everybody for asking those questions. If you want to ask a question in the future and have it be on the podcast, definitely reach out to me on Twitter at FocusedCompound. Also, be sure to sign up for Jeff's um, Gazette that goes out every single week. And if you're on YouTube, give this a thumbs up and be sure to subscribe, um, and that will notify you every single time we upload a video. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care.
0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844.